0: Hi, everyone. I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And
1: this is the Dapper Meeple.
0: This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion.
1: So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey, kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language.
0: Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required.
1: On this episode, we're stepping into a game of whimsy and warfare with Wonderland's War.
0: But first, we're going to talk about animals that forge, cooking with D&D, improv with Matthew Lillard, and I still can't believe this, the Pinkertons.
1: That's right, not a game, the actual Pinkertons.
0: All of that and more on this episode of The Dapper Meeple.
1: So we're going to start this episode with a couple of shout outs. Uh, first of all, big congratulations to the guys over at BA Games. They have just successfully funded their second Kickstarter, Forges of Ravenshire.
0: Yeah, we're really excited for these guys. We've had them on a few times. Um, we've talked about Forges quite a bit. Uh, we backed it ourselves. Um, hopefully you all were able to as well. Um, but awesome, awesome results. They were over 400% funded. Right, Over 1,000 backers. Um lot of really good stuff all their stretch goals were met as well right um so yeah we we are super excited i know obviously there's a long road till we get it on the table um but i know we'll eventually get there and i can't wait to see what the product looks like
1: and i think they were talking april of 2024 for delivery so we've got about a year which makes sense but you know i have faith in these guys like the quality is going to be there really excited can't wait to get this one on the table uh, the other shout-out I want to give is we're going to be doing a Games We Play segment talking Wonderland's War. And we have a listener who checks out our podcast every now and then and apparently is a big fan of that segment. So, Isaac, if you're listening, I hope that uh, you'll enjoy this section. And uh, maybe Wonderland's War is the next one you can ask for for your birthday. So let's get into the show. Last show, we talked about some of the changes that are coming from the D&D playtest. They just released like a 64-page book, so
2: yeah, Yeah.
1: we're going to need time to dig through that one. But it is for the next version of D&D. So far, I've liked the changes that we've seen. I like the system, right? We have been big fans, and we've talked about it a lot on this show. That's kind of where we lean. Uh, I am getting into a couple of new systems just to try them out. Somebody has invited me to a Deadlands game, which is kind of like the Wild West slash zombies slash... I don't know, maybe there's some Banshees in there or something. I don't know. (laughs) I backed another Kickstarter from Nations and Cannons. It was the American Crisis for their flagship game that they have, which is kind of a historical role-playing game. Uh, But because I backed it and we hit all the stretch goals that we were looking for, we're also going to get a copy of a one-shot adventure, which is Benjamin Franklin Banshee Hunter.
0: Yeah, yeah. We talked about it last time when we did the Kickstarter or the crowdfunding update.
1: I just couldn't say no. I just couldn't say no. (laughs) So, stand by to hear how that went.
0: Uh, Yeah, I really like the way they are kind of streamlining a lot of things. um, Because, let's be honest, 5e is better than a lot of past versions, but there's still a lot of things that are just confusing. Sure. Especially to people who are not familiar with the system. So, I like a lot of the kind of streamlining and tying kind of some loose ends together to make everything... Make more sense. Yeah, a little bit easier. So, excited for that. One of the big things that they came out with, though, recently um, was a new D&D 24-hour channel. That's
1: right. They just announced that they're going to produce their own streaming service. And this is coming from the guys over at Hasbro, which we'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) We went to the movie. The movie was a blast. Honor Among Thieves was great. Support what you love, right? Pay the money, and things will get better. Like, you'll get more of the content and the kind of things that you want, right? That's how this community has grown. Yeah, Because if anybody remembers the first D&D movie, I'm sorry, and I hope somebody helps you find a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little rough. It was a little rough. Great cast, still rough. This one kind of, it, it kind of hit all the wickets, yeah. right? There was Easter eggs in it. There was nostalgia. There were jokes that you got if you, like, knew D&D lore, and even if you didn't, it was a fun romp.
0: Yeah, it it didn't take itself too seriously. Right,
1: and that was great. Again, it's associated with Hasbro, which I'm going to get into later. <laughs> the th- The streaming service that they're offering, they announced three of the shows that are going to be on there. Um, and there's a couple of big names in the D&D world that have already been mentioned. There's a live play show. There is a improv show. And then there's a cooking show. Yeah. I'm here for it. Uh, So let's talk about the first one that they talked about was from Encounter Party, which was a podcast, right? Uh, The original creators were Ned Donovan and Carrie Payton from The Walking Dead. So, I mean, we're already talking like serious entertainers here. Um, And they're talking about it being an original D&D campaign set in the Forgotten Realms. It sounds like they're going to kind of make it celebrity focused so
0: yeah that's what it 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 seemed like from kind of the initial stuff they haven't listed yet platforms or anything that it's going to be on but they said it will be available in many places right it's kind of the initial initial push of it i
1: like that deborah and wall did a show where she had a regular group of players and the basis of the show that she was kind of like a curator of a museum and she would send the players out to collect different things and each time they played they would have a different celebrity guest kevin smith was on there the guy that played daredevil Obviously got put on I mean, they would bring celebrities into play and it seemed like it it was a good show, but I think at the time the market was a little saturated. Um I love watching Deborah Ann Wall as a DM. I think yeah. she's fantastic. She's on my like short list of people that are like it's a bucket list I would like to sit at their table and play at. Uh that was you know, that was really good. I think this kind of may be going down that same direction where you'll have like, you know, the weekly celebrity guest or whatever to come play. Interesting. Uh I'm down for that. The next one is a show from Matthew Lillard, who um, you know, Beetle and Grimm is his company. Yep. If you don't know about them, uh every time a like D and D source book is released, they usually do a kind of companion box to it. Yeah. With lots of maps and minis and dice and you know, different player aids and things that you can get your hands on. But
0: it's all over the top, like extremely well produced. You know, you're gonna spend a pretty penny, but yeah.
1: you're looking at three to five hundred bucks for each one. Yeah, but if it's boxes. something
0: that you really like if you like the setting Or something that you really want to explore. Like, they include maps, they include supplemental materials, like, all kinds of really cool stuff.
1: Yeah. So, he's always been a big D&D fan. And, I mean, from everything I've seen, the community, he loves the community, and the community loves him back. Like, when he's at cons and stuff, he's one of, like, the people that everybody wants to go see. So, he is going to have an improv show. um, And it's, see, it sounds appropriate. It's going to be named Faster Purple Worm Kill Kill. So it kind of has this uh, very kind of Tarantino feel to it. Yeah, yeah. From what I'm seeing, uh, and I guess what it is, is it will be an improv show using D&D characters as players to act out dying in monster encounters. So I don't know how long that could run, but I mean, the monster manual is pretty big. Yeah. So yeah. this could go for a while. Um, And the last one is a live cooking competition slash talk show based on the recipes of Hero Feast called Heroes Feast. So I don't know if anybody is unaware of this book, but there's a book out there called Heroes Feast, which is a cookbook for D&D. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, the recipes are very much D&D themed. They seem like actual good recipes, and now they're going to make a show out of it.
0: It's all very interesting. I, I picture this being something if it works. Like, there's a lot of opportunity here.
1: Sure, yeah. And again, this feels like You know, years ago when the guys at Critical Role were shopping around their animated series and everybody was like, oh, I don't think we want to do it. So they just crowdfunded that thing. It feels like Hasbro has taken the hint here and said, no, no, there really is money to be made here. And thanks to corporate greed, that's going to motivate them to do more stuff. Yeah. But it's coming from Hasbro. And Hasbro has a tendency to go a little over the top with some stuff.
0: Yeah, So if you guys have not been paying attention or are not followers of things in the Magic the Gathering world, the newest set that had just come out was recently spoiled on YouTube by a content creator. Yes. Um, So the way, just to kind of get some background information, so the content creator on YouTube, um, it is the channel Old School NTG, came across or actually was mistakenly given a couple boxes of the set that had not been released yet. Right. If any of you know how Wizards is, they're very, very particular about release dates and things like that with all the retailers. If they find out that you sell something early, you usually get your retailer status pulled. Yeah. That being said, the two sets that are in question, the one that was already out and the one coming out, is a one-word difference. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, it's the, what is it, the March of Machines? and then the march of machines aftermath
0: yes first of
1: all wizards do better
0: (laughs) so apparently the person that um the youtuber purchased the boxes from because he does a lot of unboxing videos from magic gathering pokemon all across the board um but the person that he purchased them from did not know that they were from the new set right they thought they were from the set the march of Machines. so he purchased them under that and in fact once he got the boxes and started opening them, that's when he realized that they were from the new set. He made a couple unboxing videos of them, showing off some of the new cards, and basically laid out the whole set before Wizards had done their whole like spoiler thing on it. Right?
1: So, so he just beat him to the punch because he got his hands on him. And this wasn't <laughs> intentional by any means. It doesn't seem like he was trying to get into it early or the guy was that sold him the stuff was trying to release it early. This seems like it was an honest mistake.
0: Right. So, the video apparently went up on a Thursday, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly. And apparently on Friday, this gentleman had some people knocking on his door. Some people. Yeah.
1: Some people. The Pinkertons. <laughs> For crying out loud. We're talking the Pinkertons. This semi-detective slash police agency that's been around since the like 1850s like and they don't have a great name associated with them especially not coming from the corporate world all right let's just go ahead and put that out there the pinkertons were notorious for uh strike busting and union busting tactics and stuff happening you know in like the 20s and 30s and then they show up at this dude's door from wizards of the coast seriously wizards do better
0: so, there is a, a couple videos on his channel, if you want to check them out, where he kind of gives, explains the story, the situation, the whole nine yards. Uh, the quick rundown is basically, the Pinkerton showed up, the first time they got there, apparently they were not home. right? Uh, so, they went to their elderly neighbors and started questioning them about, like, who they were, what their habits were, things like that, because they told their neighbors that they had an appointment with the YouTuber that he w- had missed. Right, right. Right. So, they're, like, interrogating his elderly neighbors about who they are.
1: Under false pretense. Let's just go ahead and admit, like, it's from everything that we've seen, you know, or heard from him. They're not being honest about it, which, again, doesn't surprise me when we're talking about the Pinkertons.
0: Yeah. Um, So, when they do actually make contact, we're talking with the uh, YouTuber's wife first. Mm -hmm. uh, And from what he says, the conversation with his wife went along the lines of, Hey, your husband has stolen product from Wizards of the Coast, and you're looking at jail time, fines, and other, like, legal like repercussions because he has these products. When he describes the video, he talks about how it's in the morning. Like, he had just recorded a couple quick videos after he had gotten up, and he walks out of the living room. He sees his wife, like, crying with these people telling them that they could go to jail. They confiscate all the stuff of course like all the product which he had no problem giving up to him like that was not a thing um they gave him a number of a person to call at wizards of the coast so he calls the number and he said the person at wizards was super nice sure right that's the part that like i'm glad this is
1: working itself out he said that the guy he talked to Wizards of the coast was really good really apologetic about you know the pinkerton showing up on his (laughs) doorstep and making his wife cry feel like that's the big problem here. Yeah. And we talked about this. do does Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro have the Pinkertons on retainer?
0: Yeah. So I feel like there were a couple ways this could have went down um to get from, you know, <laughs> finding out that you have product that is floating out there that's not supposed to be out there yet to that hiring Pinkertons. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I like to think that in whatever conference room that this conversation went down in, um everybody was looking at each other like well shit what do we do now that we have this product out there floating who do we hire to go like talk to this guy and get it back and everyone's like well you know we don't really have anybody to do that and that one guy who's like the american history buff in the room was like guys i got it
2: we'll hire the pinkertons
0: and everybody's like the Pinkertons? Man, we've kind of heard about them. Wasn't that like the guy in that weird Jesse James movie about right? the Outlaws not too long ago? Like, yeah, yeah, they're still around. Good news, they're owned by Sweden now. Like,
1: <laughs> I I feel like this is a reoccurring trend with Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. Like, when we talk about the Hadozi incident, yeah. when we talk about uh, Open Gaming open License, gaming license uh, they have this tendency to not have a person in the room that goes excuse me, I have a question, (laughs) right? Right. Like, have you met the group that is your core audience here? We're pretty easy to get along with most of the time. There just needs to be one common sense dude in the room that when that guy makes a decision, he looks over at this guy and he gives him a yes or a no, right?
0: It kind of reminds me of the, the meme template where like it's in like the corporate office and the first two people say like one thing and the third person says something that really makes sense but is completely different from what the head guy wants so they throw him out the window yeah 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 Yeah, like
1: that's what (laughs) i feel like they drew that because of hasbro that's what i think
0: like that shit actually
1: happened yeah like it's the kind of thing that makes people that play these games have to question them because we're giving money to wizards of the coast and hasbro if you're a Magic the Gather, if you're a Magic the Gathering fan, you're giving a lot of money to them.
2: Yeah, I just
1: don't think there's any other way to play that game. But even with D anD D, the fifth edition has made so much money over the last couple of years. Yeah, we are funding these projects that we're talking about the the movie, the Honor Among Thieves, the streaming channel, all of this stuff is being funded by the money that we have paid into them, right? right. Because Wizards of the Coast, from stuff that I've heard, is probably one of the last. Actual profitable divisions that Hasbro has. Have you tried to buy an action figure lately? That shit's out of hand, straight yeah. out of hand. But this is still making money. Yeah. And they just keep messing it up. Yeah. And it it really makes me question. And and I get it. Hasbro is a corporation, and that's something that we can never forget. As much as we may love these things, Hasbro is a corporation, and when they screw up, I think it's our responsibility to ring their bell. Right. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, and I don't know what the right answer would have been in this case, but I feel like they. Pretty sure it's not the the Pinkertons. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, especially in the way that it was handled by that by the Pinkertons, I I feel like that is that is problematic at best.
1: Yes. Uh, I I just I I just feel no story goes well once you enter the Pinkertons. (laughs) Just throughout history, right? It just has not gone well whenever they get involved.
0: I mean. Option B was they got like a two for one deal. So they use them now for this. They get some union busting later. So I, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But I will tell you
1: that the YouTuber, uh, old school MTG, did say that the Wizards of the Coast rep reached out to him and it's like, hey, we understand you lost some money on this because you bought these and you got the wrong thing. And he's like, what products do you like? We're going to send you some stuff. So Wizards of the Coast seems to be trying to make it right. Right. I really feel a lot of these problems we deal with come from the Hasbro side of the house, right? Like, I'm sure that there is a live-action D&D game every day in Wizards of the Coast where the company's trying to do what they're doing, and there's like this corporate overlord that comes in in a black suit, and he just wants to make money because that's the way it always goes, right? Like, you could probably make a movie just out of that. It annoys me. It annoys me, and we keep telling you to do better, and you keep not doing better.
0: Yeah. I really feel that a lot of the people at Wizards of the Coast probably really care about the products they're making and the community around that. And once it goes above them, it's the people who are looking at the accounting books right? and are saying, all right, we need to make more money here, so this is what we need to do. And making those kind of decisions is not always the best for your customer base.
1: And that may be wishful thinking. And... If that's the case, I will completely accept that. But that's also the reason why there are other options out there for your gaming, right? Uh, D&D has been kind of the old school, you know, grandfather of games that everybody knows. But we've talked about it. There are plenty of other options. If you don't feel like you can support them, which, again, you got to question anybody that calls the Pinkertons. (laughs) We get it. We get it. So here's our hope that they are doing better that somebody will clear some of this up and old school mtg it seems like in the end this is going to work out for him and he's going to get his hands on the product which he seems to love the game he seems to love what he does um and it's hard to put that down it's hard to say hey you know i don't really like your company so i'm going to something else because if i know anything about magic players that dude's got books and books of cards
0: i mean the background for his videos is like boxes and boxes unopened boxes Mm -hmm. of magic cards so I'm sure he's got plenty everywhere. I know he did say in one of the videos that we watched of his that his subscriber count had almost doubled. So hopefully some good things come out of this with all the the trouble that he's had, regardless of what Wizards of the Coast does. Um, but yeah, it's again, the Pinkertons. Come on. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> just let you guys know, just in case they show up on our doorstep because of this. We'll uh, we'll put a flag up. <laughs> Wonderland's War, designed by Tim Elsner, Ben Elsner, and Ian Moss, with art by Manny Tremblay, published by Druid City Games and Skybound Games. Welcome back to Wonderland, though this is not the land of frivolity and chaos which Alice left. Now the looking glass has shattered, and the wonderful madness is being drained away as the leaders of five factions meet at the Hatter's Tea Party, Alice, the Mad Hatter, the Red Queen, the Jabberwock, and the Cheshire Cat must all play nice at the table as they gather their forces before marching off to war. Wonderland's War is an area control, bag-building game where you take on the role of one of the faction leaders, all with their own variable powers, and recruit forces to your cause. The game is played in three rounds, each with two phases. At the Tea Party phase, you move around the Hatter's Table, drafting cards, building towers, upgrading your leader, and recruiting other Wonderlandians, but be careful for there are shards of madness scattered all about Wonderland. In the war phase, you will use the forces you've built to fight over the areas of Wonderland. Will you rule at the Red Keep or be the master of the Pool of Tears? Or maybe you seek to complete quests or build collections, which will net you the valuable victory points that you need. At the end of each round, the leaders meet back at the Tea Party and plot their next moves. And at the end of three rounds, the faction with the most victory points is declared the ruler of Wonderland. So today we're going to take a trip through the looking glass, or at least what's left of it, and we're going to talk Wonderland's War.
0: Right, so this was a game we actually have had for a little while. We've played it a few times. We put it on our 10 for 10 challenge uh, because it is a fantastic game. Uh, Unfortunately, we came to this one a little bit late. Uh, We didn't catch the Kickstarter when it was out because those components are gorgeous.
1: Oh, they look so good. I went back and was reviewing while we were getting ready for this segment and saw all of the miniatures... And all of the pieces that came with the Kickstarter. Uh, and if you can get your hands on that, fantastic. If not, you're going to be using the standees like we are, which are still good. Uh, but everybody likes the Kickstarter extras.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we are fans of plastic. Uh, we do love miniatures. And the Kickstarter version was full of them with the um, actual faction leaders as well as the Wonderlandians all had their own little miniatures, which is very, very cool. Uh, We do have the retail version, so when we talk about components and stuff like that, we'll be sure to be mentioning that. But overall, fantastic game.
1: It really is. Um, This is one of those games that there's a couple of different functions in the game. Uh, When you sit down and look at it for setup, it looks complicated. Yeah, Because you have board setup and then you'll have your individual player setup. And there's a lot going on during setup and during the game. But it flows really well. When you get into it, you, it's easy to play. Uh, we pulled the game out with people that had never played it before, and within by the end of the first round, yeah, uh, everybody kind of had it, uh, the basics of what was going on. A couple of times where we had to refer to the rules just to check, but for the most part, once you get into the flow of the game, you get it.
0: Yeah, there are a couple kind of niche rules that they don't always come up and they may be hard to remember, so... Keeping the rulebook handy is definitely a good idea, but it's not so much where it's, you know, every single turn you're having to dive back into the rulebook to see what the obscure interaction is.
1: Right. And they've got a great card that comes with it and it's on the back of the rulebook as well, which is kind of the flow of the tea party and waging war uh, for the two different phases in each round, which make it really easy. If you follow those, it pretty much covers, I would say, 90 percent of what's going to come up.
0: Yeah. To best kind of describe this game, I, I think it, at least with games that we have played in and talked about, this is like the love child of Quacks of Quedlinburg and Rising Sun. <laughs> yeah, no, that checks out. <laughs> I think it's probably with, with a card drafting mechanism thrown in there. Right. You know? Um, I mean, we talked about when we when we mentioned the BA game guys specifically. We like games that combine mechanisms mm-hmm. that are not just one sided, and I think this game really fits that and hits that kind of um, desire that we have in our games, right? Because it is a, it is an interesting mix of the three.
1: It is, uh, it is a area control game, like we talked about. It is also there are elements of a bag builder and with a push your luck kind of mechanic. Uh, there's the card drafting mechanic where you use to build your supporters. So there's a lot going on uh, and you can win this game with multiple strategies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. which is something
1: that I really liked about it. Um, so let's dive into talking about how this works. So first of all, with a game like Wonderland's war, you can expect that there's a little madness going on. Yeah. And you begin your game as one of the faction leaders. There are five. Uh, there's Alice. There's the uh, red queen. Mad Hatter, Jabberwock, and the Cheshire Cat. And each of them have their own power that comes into play either during the Tea Party phase, which is where we start, or the War phase, um, which is the second half of the round. During the Tea Party phase, the board is set up to look like the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. And you deal cards around the table. And now these cards give you the opportunity to draw new quests, to uh, get supporters that you can place to recruit other wonderlandians Um, some of them will give you uh, extra chips to put into your bag depending on what you want it could all be set around the table each person takes a turn moving their character clockwise except for alice who moves counterclockwise because just to be contrary to whatever card you want take that card take what uh it offers you put those into play if you make it all the way around the table you have to stop and you roll what's called a shard dice now there are these madness shards that you get during the game and these take points away from you at the end of the game so during the game you want to try to dump as many of those as you can and get rid of them but you will constantly be picking up madness shards is what i found yeah so you move around the table when everybody has chosen four cards you begin moving into the war phase, which there are five different areas that you can try to uh, conquer or, you know, take for your own on each war phase.
0: They are locations in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah there's five <laughs> different
1: locations and, uh, you know, they come from the books. There's like the Red Keep and Tuggle Woods. and uh, I think the Pool of Tears is one of them, which is where you get into the bag building mechanic yeah. and the more of your push your luck mechanic. Each player has their own player board. The way battle works is it's kind of like Quacks of Quaglinburg, yeah. right? Really similar. Uh, you have made a bag full of chips. You have a starting bag, and then you can add more as you go around the table. And there are a couple other ways that you can get chips to add into your bag. And each chip has a power, and it could be anywhere from, like, I think it's one to five. And it's pretty random, as I would expect from, yeah. you know, Wonderland. And you draw a chip out of your bag and place it on your active track. At the top of the board, there's a battle track where you move your marker corresponding with whichever chip you draw. So if I draw a chip that has like a three power to it, I'll move three planks up the battle track. Yep. But there are also chips that have other powers as well. Yep. There's some where you draw and it says, okay, so the next chip that you draw after this, you double its power or something like that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of... Interesting play between the chips as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is another thing that Quacks of Quedlinburg does. Yes. Um, depending on what order you draw chips, sometimes matters. Uh, like, like you said, the one I know specifically, I think it's the Flamingo, when you draw it, it doubles the next chip's power. There's a lot of kind of interaction like that that makes it interesting. And once you understand how those powers work, the next T phase, you begin to look for, like, different chips to start to really build that bag specifically. That's right. Um, The first round, the first kind of war phase is very much kind of you get what you get. Yeah. Because you're still working on it. But I think by the second and third rounds, like some people are able to really kind of build that bag pretty. You kind of
1: build your strategy. Yeah. 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 On top of all the good chips you have in your bag, you also have what's called madness chips. Yeah. And those can get added to your bag. Uh, some of them automatically go in there, but you can also pick up some. And if you draw a madness chip, uh, much like Quacks of you have one opportunity to ignore the results of that. Yeah. So you have a shield that you'll flip over. Um, when you draw a madness chip, though, and you have to play it, uh, you, you have a madness tracker that you'll also keep. And you'll also have to remove
0: the amount of supporters based on which Madness chip you draw out of the bag.
1: So either one or two supporters gets removed from the board. Now, if you lose all of your supporters, you have busted. So you automatically fail. So if you do end up busting, um, you move all of your active chips, immediately go to your exhausted pile, and you don't draw any more. You also lose any chance you had to forge, which is what we talked about earlier which are other tracks that are on your board and they give you access to those artifacts that are specific to your character. Yep. And those can play really big into the game. If you draw one of those, like I said, there's a lot going on during the war phase. Yeah. Uh, And depending on your character, I know I've played the mad Hatter before and madness chips are great. Yeah. He actually uses them to his advantage, which again makes perfect sense. So once you win in an area, you take the victory points and you get to build a castle. If you tie in the area, I believe you have to pick one or the other. Um, and castles are something that will come into play at the end. So this goes in three rounds, which is something I really like about this game because you can kind of figure exactly how long this is going to take. The box suggests 25 minutes per player. Uh, so it. But you can kind of plan on how long this game is going to go. You're only getting three rounds.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, that was one of the things we talked about on our what makes modern games better. Yeah is that there's a constant end time for when this game is done. Right. You you get three phases or three rounds and that's it. Right.
1: You come back to f- and begin the second round and you do it all over again. You do your tea party phase with different cards and uh, there are different cards for the th- for the third round as well. One of the things I also like is with the chips, there are different ways to play the chips. There are... F- Four different versions of what the chips do, or what their power is, that you play in the bag. Yeah, so that adds to a little bit of the replayability as well. And you yeah. can make them harder or easier. And in the rule book, it talks about suggesting if you wanted to mix, like they're labeled by A, B, C, and D. Right. So, and it does tell you make sure you have the you know the right side of the card to show what the powers do.
0: Yeah, and there are also um, quest cards that are involved in this that have different actions for you to take or to try and take that will give you bonus victory points at the end. Um, and those are all shuffled and the way they come out is random. Sure. So there's a lot of, a lot of replayability built into that. Um, each of the tea party phases has its own set of cards. Mm-hmm. So they become stronger as you get to like the second and third phase. And also those are all shuffled and dealt out randomly the amount is going to kind of vary each time and which ones you see yep so more replayability dropped in there
1: so that is the game and as you can see this is a lot of game in this box it looks really complicated especially when you're looking at the setup like we said but once you get going on it i don't think that it's hard to catch on to at all like it kind of flows really well all right so let's rank it and we're going to start with value So the MSRP right now that we found is about $65. Now, that's if you could find a copy.
0: Yeah, it looks like a lot of places are out of stock on it. I'm not confirmed that it's out of print, uh, but it does look like it's a little difficult to find currently. Um, That being said, at $65, this game, there's a lot of game in this box for $65. Right.
2: Um,
0: And like we said at the beginning, kind of prefacing the difference between the Kickstarter version and the retail version, which we purchased, they're still, even though we don't get like the miniatures and stuff like that, the artwork in this is fantastic. Right.
1: The standees that they use are really, really good. Um, the bases that they use are really nice plastic bases. The artwork was done by Manny Trembley, which we know from Dice Throne. Right. So you're getting, you're getting a beautiful game, and you're getting a game that's got a lot of... I don't say complexity, but there are a lot of mechanics There's a lot of in the game, decision
0: space and stuff in the game as well. Yeah, uh, I I really feel like this is a gorgeous game where when you have it laid out on the table, if you're in a place where like people are passing by, coming and going, like they're going to stop and look at
1: it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's definitely like I said, it's bright. It's very Wonderland in the artwork.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as, you know the things like that, the components and stuff that add to the value, I think all day, every day this game is worth the sixty five dollars. Yeah. If yeah. you find it for cheaper, even better. Yeah. Um but oh,
1: ignore if you go on Amazon and see the four fifty price tag. Somebody's trying to get away with murder there.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's quite worth that much. Um that's when you hope to have a friend who has it. Uh but no, it's a fantastic game. I think it is the value on it is great. I'd probably give it I'd probably go an eight and a half. Yeah, that's about where I am. Yeah, Yeah.
1: definitely. For what you're getting in the box, it's worth it. If you see it in your friendly local game store, I would suggest grabbing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's go into components. Um, Again, the cardboard of the standees and stuff is really, really good quality. The cardstock on the cards are also very, very good. Yes. Um, Just across the board, again, the components are really well done. The board itself is very, very, like, The artwork kind of pops and the way that it's done, it isn't confusing as in there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff going on at all times, but they happen in very specific sections of the board.
1: Right. It separates it out really well. Uh, the board is really easy to follow. Uh, even with all of the, like I said, the color and the swirl and everything that's in there. Um, I know the girlfriend, when she played, that was the first thing when I opened it up and folded out, she was like, this looks complicated this looks like I'm not going to be able to follow it. And as we started playing, it just all fell into place.
0: Yeah. So I I think that is one thing. It can be kind of intimidating at first glance. Yes. Um, Especially to people who uh, maybe board gaming is not something you are constantly into or, or heavier games may be something you haven't experienced. It may seem like this is a complicated game out the gate. Yep. But in reality, it does flow really well once you get the basic principles. down.
1: Sure. For components, uh, for the retail version, I mean seven and a half, eight, and that may bump up to an eight and a half or so if you get the Kickstarter version, which yeah. is probably uh, difficult to find right now.
0: Yeah, I think it depends on your thoughts of minis versus cardboard standees, because that is a constant debate anytime new games come out is are the miniatures worth it? Um, some people in, in different camps, of course, they disagree. Some would say they're perfectly fine with standees and wouldn't even prefer them. Uh, personally, we are miniature people. We like having minis. We like having the ability to maybe one day paint them if we ever decide to.
1: <laughs> it's on the to-do list.
0: Yeah, yeah. But um, no, I, I think I would give the standard components probably a 7.5. There's nothing really special about them necessarily. Uh, but they are all just really good.
1: Right. They look really great. The artwork's great. And they serve their purpose. And they look like they're going to stand up to a beating for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk gameplay. So, so so, you listened to that rambling of how to play this game. And you followed that. I hope you're encouraged. There is a lot going on with this game. There are a lot of different mechanics that are blended together and blended together well. Uh, I, I like that you don't have to have one strategy, right? Like, you don't have to just, I have to win all of the areas. I've sacrificed some areas. Like, that kind of a thought process comes into play when you're looking at the war phase.
0: I I really do think it plays a lot like Rising Sun, Mm -hmm. because Rising Sun has that same kind of decision space where sometimes you put, like, one or two dudes on a place fully intending to sacrifice them and call it a day. Um, and I think this, this same kind of decision space exists in Wonderland's war where there might be a location that only has one, like one person is controlling it, but you'll throw a dude in there to get half the victory points, even though, you know, you have no chance of winning. Right. And I I think that's perfectly, that's perfectly fine. And I think that's what makes this a good area control game as well. The bag building aspect on top of it. I think really brings out the kind of chaotic nature, yes, of like the Wonderland, and because you never know really what you're going to be pulling out of that bag, uh, whether it's good or bad for you. Mm-hmm. you know? um,
1: and you also have the quest cards that add to the bonus points when you complete the quest, and then at the end when you're figuring up victory points again, if you've completed them, you know you can get to double the points. So you can have a strategy where you're just trying to knock out quests as your main source of victory points.
0: Right. And that may not lend itself to controlling areas. Right. It might be getting certain um, like certain faction or certain pieces into certain areas or, you know, what have you. But your goal is just to do, do the quests.
1: Right. So gameplay eight and a half nine easy like i had a lot of fun playing this game um not so much fun setting it up the first couple times but you get used <laughs> to that but once we get into the game and you're actually playing you really feel like there is a lot of freedom and decisions that you can make to affect the outcome of the game
0: yeah um i think i'd probably give it an eight um it's not it's not my most favorite game uh like uh, but at the same time if somebody said, would you like to play Wonderland's War? I wouldn't say no. Right. right. <laughs> Got it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think it is a really well done game. I think it has a unique design space that I enjoy. Um, it combines two games that I enjoy separately um, in kind of the way that it plays. So yeah, I think absolutely eight for me, for sure.
1: Replayability. We talked a little bit about this as we were talking about the game. There's a lot of replayability here. First of all. Each of the faction leaders have their own individual powers and yep. play very, very differently. Yep. So you've got to try to play them all. Yeah. The cards that you use uh, are divided into like the three sections. The, the powers for the chips can change uh, and make the game more difficult or more challenging. So there's a lot of things that you can change in the game and play again. And it's still a new game. It's still more challenging. There's a different aspect to it. So I definitely think replayability is up there in like the eight, eight and a half. Easy.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I think they did really well with the the way that the game will change. Um, I think one of the biggest things is probably changing the way the chips function. Yes. Um because obviously you could change, you know, leaders and play that. That gives you five plays that are gonna be different for sure. But changing the chips allows the game, like even the strategy that maybe you like to rely on will even change what, how viable that strategy may or may not be. Absolutely. And I, I think that pushes the decision space to be something that is much more challenging for every play because now you have to decide or come up with a new strategy based on the new information that you know. Right. All right so, I, yeah, I think solid, I'd solidly give it an eight and a half. Yeah. I think you can really get a lot of plays out of this game um, and each time feel different enough to be worth it
1: sure sure um an overall rating um we've kind of been hovering right in the eights like i i think a solid eight and a half for overall um just with everything that we've seen as we pulled it out on the table the big thing that i really think that impresses people like i said is the artwork and how good this thing looks yeah and then how smooth it plays yeah so definitely for me it's it's an easy eight and a half
0: yeah i think i would agree with that The just the overall package of this game is very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why it became as popular as it did
1: for a while. Right. Uh, there's a reason why you can't find it right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of really, really good things inside the box. Yep. Um, you know, we keep going back to the artwork. Obviously, Manny Trimbley is someone who we like to see his artwork, being as big a fans of Dice Urban as we are. But just the whole general aesthetic of the board and everything looks gorgeous. Like I said, it's a real eye catcher if somebody's walking by, Um, but also the play, even though it looks on the surface like it's going to be a bear, it really is not that bad. Um, But yeah, I I think eight and a half is where I would score it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, This is definitely a good game. If you are able to find it at or around retail, definitely pick it up if this is it, kind of your cup of tea. Um, If not, take a look at, you know, areas where you can play it. Maybe a friend might have it or something like that. Definitely get it to a table and try it out.
1: And now it's time for our crowdfunding roundup. We've got three projects today that um, hit on three very different areas of the fandom here. So let's get started. And we're going to talk about a new company that's bringing a new paint and paint system to the forefront with the Broken Anvil Studio Paint.
0: Yeah, so this the the thing that drew me to this Kickstarter, first and foremost, um, is the in the video for it, the guy talks a lot about color theory. And how he thinks it's very important to kind of uh, make that easy for people who are trying to paint with miniatures and things like that. And I think that's really cool to try and open up that the hobby to be more accessible and easier for people to kind of do these really nice like color gradients and things like that who may have no idea what color theory even is. Right. Um, So. Looking here, they have a few options and stuff, but he basically put together what they call the essential palette, and that's what this Kickstarter is for. It is 40 different paints uh, that are kind of split up into eight different sets, if you will, um, that have like you have five blues, five greens, five yellows, five oranges, five reds, five violets. You have five browns and then you have five that are black and white.
1: What I really like about this is for people that are just starting to paint. This is where things start to get complicated. Like when you first start painting, you can watch hours of videos on YouTube. Yeah. And there's lots of good information out there and you can definitely figure it out. I think their system kind of simplifies it. Um, and I really do. When they say it's an essentials kit. I mean, it's it, it's everything that you should ever need. Um There's the color section, there's also the black and white section, uh, so you can work on tones, and then there's the brown section to kind of tone things down as well.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that each of the paints has is a little marker on it, whether it is a warm or cool undertone based on the color and like the undertone color as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I think is really, really cool, um, especially as you start to dive in and learn more about color theory and see how those undertones really do make a difference.
1: Right. Right, and it's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's obvi- it's obvious blues and greens are cool, and reds and yellows are... No, Like there are greens with like a warm undertone under them. Yes. Um, and there are reds that have a cool undertone, and they mark those on the bottle, so you can kind of identify that when you're mixing it.
0: Yeah, as somebody who stands around looking at a color wall full of color chips all day, yes, undertones <laughs> do matter. Um, but yeah, this is a fantastic looking set. Uh, there are a few different options in the Kickstarter tiers as far as what you can get. Uh, the initial tier starts at $14. You can get just the brown hue set, which is four different kinds of browns. Um, you can also do a pledge at $18, which gets you your set of five of any of the color hue. So if you only want to kind of a, maybe augment what you already have, sure. there's a couple different options for that. Um, Then there's a pledge at $21 that gives you a black and white paint set. So you get a warm, cool, and neutral of both black and white uh, to be able to um, kind of mix and use those to whatever you need to do. Um, But then we get to the actual like essential palette. So this pledge is $130 or more. Uh, Again, it does come with those 40 different paints and the different colors. Um, And you get a really cool looks like storage box for them as well. Um, But yeah, it's it's a very interesting um, approach for me as someone who is not a miniature painter, as somebody who just deals with color theory in their everyday job. Yeah. Like, I feel like this was a really interesting and unique approach to it that I haven't seen done before. Um, And he talks about how specifically he hand makes the original colors for what was going to be in the palette. Uh, to hopefully make sure that they covered all the bases. Um, and the big thing that he talks about it doing is it allows for people who are just learning about painting to be able to do some really, really cool gradients like on their miniatures, because each of these five in the different color families just go together.
1: Right. Uh, it looks really good. The You can do the $10 pledge too, uh, just to kind of start out. What I really like about it, I mean, it looks like they're... He's put together some really high quality paints, and there are lots of paints out on the market. If you're a miniature painter, like there are lots of paints. I think the essential box is 130, which, if you go to say Army Painter, their box of like their standard, like starter 50 paints is like 160. Um, and it comes with like a brush and like a little book that uh helps you, uh, painting guide kind of explain their paints. Uh, this is kind of built in that like how to use their paints is kind of built into like the system. So that one looks really good and the paints they have a lot of like actual miniatures that have been painted um and you can see like different like the tones underneath it and the shading and stuff that these paints do. Yeah. They look really good. Um especially if you're new to this or you're just getting into painting and you want something to kind of help you along the way, I think this would be a great investment for that. Yeah, absolutely. As of time of recording, there are eight days left, so if you're interested, go check it out, and they're already funded at like 200%, just a little bit over. Yeah. Uh, after the Kickstarter, they should jump right into production and delivery. Yep. So this is one you won't have to wait for. Yeah. Uh, next up, <sighs> virtual tabletops have been all the rage since COVID. Yep. And there are tons of them out there. There are ones you can pay for a DM. There are ones that you can do with your friends. This is one that already has some pretty big names attached to it. And we're talking Fablecraft. It's a new digital TTRPG.
0: Right. So as opposed to some of the virtual tabletops that allow you to play like a and d game using the tabletop, this actually comes preloaded with its own story system, whole nine yards. So it really marries the idea of a TTRPG with a video game, which I think is very interesting. Uh, I I think it's a unique design space. Is is where I kind of have landed on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in the the Kickstarter video, uh, you see a few familiar faces like Abria Eingar and Becca Scott all playing this game, and right. I put that in quotes because how staged is it? But nonetheless, uh, it sounds and looks really, really interesting.
1: It looks like this is going to be easy to build a game off of. Um,
0: They have a few pre-generated, I I call them campaigns, but they're more like...
1: Adventures? Yeah,
0: maybe like five sessions worth of each kind of thing. But in the Kickstarter, they talk about goals of... Having a marketplace where creators can create product and have it directly purchased by the end consumer for this um, system and like the whole nine yards.
1: I think their biggest challenge, and let me look at it before, uh, they are already funded because they weren't asking for a lot. They were asking for 10000 and they're at 105000 right now. So, they're definitely funded. I think their biggest challenge is going to be making a system and a game that people want to play in. Uh, cause a lot of people hold on to a lot of nostalgia. But this yes. one looks really good. The artwork on it looks great. Uh, so what are you pledging to get? The, f- the starter pledge on this one is nine bucks. Um, and that gets you, uh, an act, the Steam key access for the closed beta. It gets you the base game your name in the game credits and uh they found a role on their discord yep um moving up there's a $29 pledge that gets you six of those keys um all the stuff that was mentioned before you get the expansion pack and uh dice and token skins so imagine on the game you different dice different tokens yep um what comes next the $49 the wayfarer
0: it's pretty much the same thing. Yep. It adds an additional expansion pack and an additional Dyson token skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much the way that the pledges go up. Yeah. Um, they're about $20 difference for each pledge level uh, where it adds an additional expansion pack each time and an additional Dyson token skin. Um, all the way up to... Uh, I believe it is...
1: It goes up for a while. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a... Uh, there, there are two of them left. There's the We Need a Villain Pledge where you get to design a villain. Uh, That's $1,500. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a $700 one for a custom one-shot where you play a one-shot with a Riftweaver GM. Now, I don't know if that's one of the people that was... Because, like you said in the intro video, uh, Bray Isengard's in there. Felicia Day talks to them. Uh, There's a lot of big names associated with this and pushing it. So... I don't know who those Rift Weaver GMs are.
0: Yeah, so there are a bunch of different tier levels in here. Honestly, what what I really liked the entry level of just nine bucks to hop on board to give it a shot. That's pretty unique. Yeah, I that's think. accessible for yeah, just yeah. about anybody. Um, and that gives you an entry to the beta as well as the game itself and one expansion pack. So if you love it, I'm sure down the road you'll be able to buy them other expansion packs. I would I would picture probably around the same price as they are now. They don't say specifically Um, again, if you're if you think you're going to absolutely love this, there are some really cool, like exciting, high money, high value type of things that that can be purchased, Um, everything from immortalizing your pet in the game (laughs) um, to even like creating an NPC type thing. Um, So a lot of really cool stuff with this. Um, I think as far as what where we are concerned, we're, we're probably not going to be dropping $1,500 on it. So we're looking more at just having access to it just to feel and see kind of some of the things that they're doing with it. Um, so the base game itself includes 25 landscapes, 10 battle maps, 30 monsters, 50 inventory items, 10 different music tracks, and 10 different soundscapes. So that's what you get even with the $9 pledge. That's not bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. At the bottom, they have kind of a, this is a, this is something that they're trying to develop. So they're talking about third quarter of 2023, launching the closed beta. So, uh, sometime in August of this year. Yep. Uh, and then it moves on, you know, to, uh, what they're going to release the expansion packs, uh, Android and tablet, iOS and Android tablet support, uh, some language changes, uh, in 2024 uh, is when it looks like they're actually going to try to do the closed beta updates. Um, you kind of implement all of this stuff. Um, and they're shooting for a public launch of, you know, second quarter of 2024. So sometime in April.
0: Yeah, so, which, I mean, that's pretty, pretty aggressive. But it looks like they have a lot of the base stuff kind of down. Um, launching the beta in August that gives them some good time to really iron out any bugs or anything. So,
1: yeah. So, yeah. Um, if you're a fan of tabletop games, this is something that's new. Um, we always like to see when people are coming out with something different because, I mean, sometimes even your favorite tabletop games are ran by scoundrels. So, maybe you <laughs> don't want to support them and maybe this is something for look into. <laughs>
0: maybe you don't want the did showing up. Yeah, maybe mouth. you don't want the picker did. <laughs> Yeah, so the final project we're looking at today um, is actually another project that has some pretty big names in the designer world and in board games attached to it, Um, and that is Leviathan Wilds. So this is a co-op game that is kind of a boss battler, right? uh, is is kind of the way to think about it. Um, Basically... You play as one of these characters in classes and you are trying to climb the leviathan because they are currently cursed and you have to climb up them and break the crystals to end the curse on them so they stop rampaging around and destroying things. Any of you out there who have played Breath of the Wild, if this does not give you Breath of the Wild like feelings very much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like that's one, the vibe. 100%. Um but yeah, it looks really good. Um, A couple things about it that I really like. There is a kind of a deck building card base system um, that is built into it where you combine the cards from whichever hero you take and the cards from whichever class you take and shuffle them together. Uh, The other thing I really like about it is it takes a page out of Ryan Lockett's book in the way that it puts the board out there. The board is a basically a spiral bound book that flips open to the different Leviathans. So you just have nicely, simply these Leviathans on different pages that you flip them open. And then that is the game board that you play on. So Ryan Lockett did a couple of games. There's above and below near and far, um, and a few different others that all use the same kind of system where the game board is actually this book. One, it makes it extremely like good to store and you also get a lot of variability because it is just a book so uh this one looked really interesting um it reminded me also of there was a couple games that came out one of them being mall peak where it was a two-player game where one player played as like the big giant monster and the other one played as like the villagers trying to like climb it and fight it off type thing um but yeah this one is a cooperative game so you are you're um, all the players are playing against the monster. It is a wonderful players, um, but it looks really, really good. There's some fun mechanics as far as like being able to jump across right, like the leviathans. Mechanics. Yep, um, you can even glide like to a lower spot and stuff like that. Um, each of the leviathans, the board is kind of built in like a grid system based on the way the leviathan looks. So each leviathan has kind of a different challenge to it the leviathans themselves have different attacks that they can do as well as like different wounds and stuff that they can cause. So a lot of really, really, really interesting mechanics with this one. Um,
1: so the pledge levels they have right now, there's the $1 pledge. So that's the follow along and get you access to the pledge manager. And then for basically the core game, it is $59. Um, so you're saving about 10 bucks on what the suggested or the estimated MSRP is that gets you a copy of the game. Um, the mutation pack and the wood token set, which is going to be a crowdfunding exclusive. Yep. Uh, there's also a retail pledge, um, that you can make if you need to get multiple copies because you're a game store. Um, but it makes it pretty simple. Uh, it's kind of one of those, do you want the game or not?
0: Yeah. Um, there is something to be said about not having 15 different pledge levels, right? Um, but yeah, so currently, or when the game comes out, there's going to be at least 14 different Leviathans that you can play against. Um, uh, I believe one of the stretch goals is adding another one and they're right up against it. So hopefully they'll be able to get it cause there's still quite a few days left. Um, but yeah, they've already unlocked, uh, another one, another climber um so they've unlocked some uh, tray upgrades so i always like to see component upgrades that's really cool so yeah a lot of really good stuff here take a look at this one especially if you like co-op games they also have it on
1: tabletop simulator if you want to give it a try
0: yep absolutely and i believe they said all 14 of the leviathans that they have currently are on tabletop simulator so you can check those out on there um currently the they're at 123,000 of their $10,000 goal, so they they have definitely got it. Um, and there's still 16 days left, so there's still plenty of time to take a look at it and see what you think. Um, if it's something that maybe you would like to pledge to and back, they're looking at shipping in February of next year, which is a pretty quick turnaround. So it's not bad.
1: The tense battle in the Red Keep rages between Alice and the Jabberwock.
0: Alice is at 24 strength and only needs one more point to secure her victory but she only has one supporter left on her board.
1: She draws the last chip and looks down to see the Jabberwock's poison token causing her to lose that last supporter and bust.
0: The Jabberwock takes all the victory points for the red keep.
1: For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Jim.
0: And I'm Josh. Good night everyone. Thanks everyone for sticking around and listening to our show.
1: If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps
0: us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at The Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com.
1: And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table.